Welcome to Disarming Persuasion, the podcast for sales and business leadership professionals. My name is Dave Rosenberg, and I am the founder and principal at Locked On Leadership, a consulting firm with a mission to replace Thank God It's Friday with Thank God It's Monday. And I'm Ann Bonney, redhead impersonator and an expert in change management and leadership that people want to follow. Okay, Ann. What are we going to talk about today? Turns out we've got a guest today, Dave. It's not just you and me talking. We've got Angie Grissom of the Rainmaker Companies. Welcome, Angie. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Ann and Dave. Excited to be here today. Yeah, and we're excited to have you. As you know, you and I have spoken and corresponded over probably pre-COVID, probably goes back that far. Um, many years, and, and uh, it's really good to connect on a little deeper basis. Um, so we start every podcast where we have a guest with, a, we ask our guests the same question. And I know I, I told you I was going to ask you a question, but now you're going to actually get to hear it. So okay. the name of the podcast is Disarming Persuasion. What does that mean to you? Disarming Persuasion. Well, because we are out there teaching business development and communication skills in professional services, I think disarming persuasion means how can you impact change without coming across as maybe overbearing or maybe putting people on the defensive. Um, We believe that persuasion and influence is about connecting with people and their why and their intrinsic motivation. And um, that's one of the issues that that we see with fear around business development. I'm sure you all have heard that as well. People feeling like they have to come across as somebody that they're not really. Um, But I think it's about being authentic and tapping into people um, and who they are and being uh, persuasive, making an impact. I love it. I love it. And so where do you find some of the challenges in that? I mean, because, you know, there's so many messages that we're receiving socially, that we're receiving culturally, that we receive in training on how to do that. But there's always that importance that you said, authenticity. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that one of the biggest barriers that professionals face is fear of the unknown. And Mm. I think that that the world is changing so much. And we, we've seen over the past couple of years how we are um, forced to wear so many hats that maybe we didn't anticipate wearing. As a matter of fact, Dan Hood from Accounting Today just uh, wrote a column or article about that. I think it comes down to people having a fear around selling, communicating, maybe not having learned certain skills in, um, in school. And so we're asking them as current and future leaders in firms, we're saying, Hey, we want you to super serve clients. Hey, we want you to grow the business. Hey, we want you to be an advisor. So the barriers are them throwing their hands up going, what are you talking about? Um, I don't know how to check that box. Um, so it just comes down to the unknown, I think. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, uh, the unknown historically, anthropologically for us has always represented danger, right? I mean, for 300,000 years, you know, it's only been the last 10,000 that we've been civilized. You traveled someplace and and all of a sudden something new hit you, you immediately your fight or flight kicks in. So that hasn't changed. 
I, I, for me, I think the big challenge is um, for people I'm working with is they, they say, oh, this is a role I don't want to take on. I'm an accountant in your world, right? I'm an accountant. I'm great with numbers, but people, ooh, that and so it becomes a role. And if we can get people to disidentify with their roles and actually just know who they are outside of the role, then all of a sudden that fear sort of goes away. Do you have any uh, tips for people how, how they can be more authentic, what, what they can do to, to, to do that? Dave, I love that. One of the first things we do in our Rainmaker Academy program, I just did it last week in Scottsdale, is you must begin with the why. Think about the Simon Sinek TED Talk. Mm-hmm. And we, we always share that. It doesn't matter what your job description says or what your supervisor says or what your clients want. If you are not in it for the right reasons and internally motivated and understand what your why is, why do you get up in the morning, right? Why do you leap out of bed? What are you excited about? Um, If you don't know that and can't clearly articulate it, it's really, really difficult to be authentic. Once you think about, and people typically don't have permission to think about who do you want to be, right? How do you want to be known? What is my why? Once you give any individual permission per se to think about what is your purpose, and they can articulate what their purpose is, why they do what they do, then they can be authentic. And the way that they act, the way that they work probably doesn't look like everybody else, but it's them showing up. So I think you have to start with, why are you doing this? Who are you? Who do you want to be? And then the true, you know, authenticity shows up. Yeah. And I would add one thing today. I completely agree with everything you said. And adding to that, really understand what our values are. And, and, you know, we all act in accordance with our values all the time. Not always, we don't always state what our values are. Sometimes we say something else and that's not our true values because we don't think our true values for whatever reason. Usually I think because we haven't identified them, but if we can take the time to truly know what our values are and what our purpose is, then authenticity becomes so much easier. Absolutely agree. Yeah. And one of the challenges that I find is, you know, if I've got all my stuff figured out, one of the other challenges is with persuasion is if it's not necessarily in conflict, but different from the person I'm trying to persuade. Have you figured out a way to kind of get beyond that? You know, I think it comes down to being open and collaborative. And that's, that's a lot of what we teach. Nobody wants to be told what to do. Um, people don't like to be sold to, whether it's products, services, or ideas, right? But they like to buy. So to just to elaborate on that point, um, I think it's important that you are conversational, that you ask questions, that you get to know other people's perspectives. That's why I like meetings like this, where you can just have a conversation and get to know where everybody's coming from. Well, and I think that's so important because I think so often people feel like we have to accomplish something all the time. And sometimes it's just that rapport building and that understanding and getting to know each other so that we can collaborate when the time comes. Yeah, it's funny. It It's an old saying, but it's true nonetheless, right? People do business with people. And more importantly, people do business with people whom they like and trust. Mm-hmm. And if you're to go back to your earlier statement, Angie, where you said authenticity, if you're not authentic, 
people know that we all know when somebody's inauthentic and then they don't like and trust you. So um, that, really that's something, yeah, that's something we teach Dave. We, we teach people do business with people they like and trust. And the other, the other comment you made, we are not in the tire business, widget business, pencil business. We are in the people business and in professional services, especially you are the service, you are the product. Um, but honestly, even if you're in the tire business or the widget business or the pencil business, you're still the person that they're buying a lot of times in these relationships. So I agree. I wouldn't even say a lot of times. I would say always, 100% always. of the time. Yeah. Well, and, and along those lines, I'm really curious. And, and you know, since we uh, first you know, came into each other's circle, what's your backstory? How did you start? the Rainmaker companies? Well, I actually didn't start it. We, um, we had a founder um, who's still, he's not involved in the business, but he's still, you know, around and we stay in touch. His name is Troy Waugh. And Troy was an auditor who decided in his career at some point that he was more interested in um, helping people and business development, practice development than he was in auditing. Which that does sound more interesting to me than auditing too. So, but I, I joined the firm about 10 years after it started. And I, I joined early, early in my career, knowing that I wanted to be in consulting because I love, love, love um, creative work. And I love helping people and helping them be the best that they can be. So from my career, I started as a, really a marketing assistant at the front desk for a minute and worked my way up. Um, bought into the firm in my 20s, was a partner in my 20s, and then uh, went through a full transition buyout after that. So it's been quite a journey um, that I knew that I wanted to go to law school or be an entrepreneur or be a consultant. And that's how I landed at Rainmaker. It's been interesting. So you must have had some persuasion challenges of your own starting at that young age um, to, to find yourself in a position of authority as a partner in, in what sounds like a decent sized firm with a lot of outreach to some high powered people. Uh, what was the biggest challenge you faced? You know, probably it was the fact that I was in my 20s telling people my parents' age how to run their multi-million dollar accounting firms. And, and I always thought, are, are they looking at me thinking, why am I taking advice from a 26-year-old? But what I realized early on was I'm not telling them how to do their job technically. I'm giving them insight from my experience in culture, in growth, in accountability. And I'll never forget, Ann and Dave, the minute that I decided, and this was not immediate, but it was years in, a few years in, the minute that I decided if I were a firm leader or managing partner of a firm, I would hire me over our competition. The minute I decided it flipped a switch for me. And I realized, you know what, I'm not going to let that insecurity of whether or not they think they should listen to me dictate it because they should. So, you know, th there are always challenges, whether you're young or old or male or female or whatever, there are always challenges. But I think if you understand your purpose, which I did, and I think if you understand your worth, which it takes a minute, right? Mm -hmm. Then you can be an effective communicator because people can feel that people trust that you teach people how to treat you. Right. And that's, that's professionally, personally, you name it. So 
for me, it was a little bit tough at the beginning, but it helped me be better that I was, you know, facing those challenges. It was great. Yeah. How do you develop that confidence? Because that's one of the hardest things you got imposter syndrome. And then you've got, you know, all the things like, I am not the expert in the world. How do you, how do you recommend perhaps to your, um, to the people in the Academy or just in general to develop that confidence, to be able to say, I have worth here. <laughs> you know, it's, it's interesting that you're asking that. And I'm actually doing a presentation on Friday, um, to a group from my hometown, and it's a, it's a fundraiser and it's about empowering people. And I have reached out via today via social media, just asking who gave you the confidence, who gave you that encouragement. And I'm getting all of these incredible responses. You know, I would say I was lucky enough to have parents who believed I could do anything and really encouraged me. Not everybody's is that way, but most people have somebody in their lives that believe in them. Find those people. If you haven't yet, align yourself with people who are your biggest cheerleaders. I've had clients, other consultants, friends that, that have encouraged me. The other thing is be humble and never, ever, ever think you know the answers and never stop learning. So I met Blaine Lee, who was one of the founders of Franklin Covey very early in my career. And he said, Angie, I think you're going to be a leader and I want you to read everything you can get your hands on. And I want you to become credible as soon as you can and all of these things. And I thought, that's right. Just keep learning, lifelong learning. So that gives you the confidence and aligning yourselves with other people. And then the cool thing is get out there, make something happen, get some wins, get some testimonials, and then you feel even more confident with it. You know, I think there's, you're absolutely right. You know, when you say leaders are readers, that's another one of those old sayings that exist for a reason. The, the, the challenge that I had um and, and I'll, I'll be 61 next month and probably up until in the last few years is irrespective of whatever level of success I have achieved from the outside looking in as an insider, you're always going like, oh, you know, it was just, it was luck or it was this, it was that, it wasn't that big a deal, you know, and I had to really learn to trust. And this is where I, again, authenticity comes into play connecting with people. So, you know, they're being authentic with you and being able to trust that their mirror is pretty clear. Right. So in mm -hmm. other words, what you see when people are, are talking to you, because I think a lot of us tend to downplay our own successes and, and doing that without becoming egotistical. Okay. I failed the egotistical part, but doing that, you know, without becoming full of yourself and staying humble, that's, that's a big challenge. I think for a lot of us. Absolutely. I, I was having, I spent the night with a girlfriend in Phoenix over the weekend that I haven't seen in about five years. And she was just so encouraging about, you know, my career and all of these things. And she was saying, Oh my gosh, you've accomplished so much and you've done this and done that. And and I had, it took me a minute to realize, what are you talking about? I, I, you know, looking at my career, I don't think about that. I just think about day-to-day -day and growing the business and helping my clients. And I don't think about reach and influence and things like that. I just don't. And it's interesting, though, to your point, to, to look at it from somebody else's perspective. And I think that's important because a lot of times... The people that I've asked, hey, give me an example of somebody that empowered you, somebody that, you know, that believed in yourself, um, believed in you, and they're coming back and saying, I haven't really accomplished anything. 
but contraire, right? Absolutely you have. And for me to be able to say, let me tell you what you've done. You're a rock star. You're incredible. They don't even see it. So I think, I think that's very common. I think actually people probably struggle a little bit more with insecurity than they do egomania in my experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, that, that's, that was exactly my point. And it's, it's hard and we have to celebrate our successes. Success begets success. But if you don't recognize it, it then it becomes more of a challenge. Absolutely. Absolutely. One of the things that um, you have on your LinkedIn is that you are creating empowering cultures in firms. And I think sometimes cultures also have that same challenge with worth and with value, you know, value and um, that whole togetherness thing. How do you, how do you translate that as a leader, not just to your team, but to the culture of your organization? Well, luckily our audience is typically the firm leadership. And if we can demonstrate how creating an empowering culture will benefit the bottom line and the retention and the recruiting and you develop people for goodness sakes when when you can you know communicate that i guess from the top down and and you can get them believing it and understanding it that's the first step because leadership really does flow from the top. And I'll tell you one of the really great things about my career, I've been blessed in a lot of different ways. Um, one of them was Troy, the founding partner of the firm. He said, I'm going, you know, you're better off asking forgiveness than permission. If mm-hmm. you, I need for you to move and get things done and I'm going to be on the road and you, you, you know what, do you want to run our consulting division? run our consulting division, make it happen. And so the fact that I've had people in my life that it's, it's terrifying to do those things, (laughs) but the fact that I've had people that have said, go fail, try that has created my career because I could have, you know, hopped around to a hundred different companies. When you communicate to firm leadership that it's so powerful from a business perspective, from a people perspective, from a promotion perspective, and they get on board with that and they see examples of that, it starts to perpetuate. And then they call each other out for not doing it. They'll call each other out for micromanaging or bad behavior. Um, So yeah, you've got to start at the top. Yeah, you're so right. My Navy career was that way. I've worked for a couple different uh, commanding officers, some good, some um, not as good uh, for, I, I fortunately never for a bad CEO, but I did work for one who I would say wasn't top of the pack. And, 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 you know, for him, his whole thing was image. And I, I, to me, to this day, 30 years later, when I switched from his command to the next command, you know, I went to the first all officers meeting, uh, AOM, we called them. And the new CEO said, we were talking about doing something right. And he says, did it? He said, do it because you are a professional. And I mean, okay, that doesn't sound anything good. But the message I had heard from my old CEO was do it if it appears, if it looks. So he was all about the image, not the substance. Mm. As long as it looked good, he was fine with it. And whatever scotch tape band-aid and bubble gum you used to make it look good was fine with him. The new guy was about just do it right because you're a professional. 
and the, the culture was completely different because we would get away with shenanigans at the first one. And, you know, we were, we were, we were a house of cards ready to tumble down because of that mm-hmm. culture is everything. And it starts with the top. Um, how do you get your clients um, to create purpose-built cultures? Cause that's what you're talking about. Culture is going to develop one way or the other. The question is, do you guide it and create it intentionally the way you wanted to? What do you do for that? You know, I am not doing as much practice management consulting as I was in the past, but it all comes down to the the why. Why was the firm started or what what is the the mission, vision, values of the firm? And it can't just be one or two people. It has to be all of the stakeholders. So that that's all of the team members. So facilitating conversations around how do you want to be known? What are some of the best examples and testimonials that you've heard from clients? How have you truly made a difference in getting everybody's input and defining it as a group? This is who we are. This is who we want to be. And then recruiting the right people around that vision because people will come to an organization where they feel like they they fit in and they can grow and there's a vision. And I can tell you, I've met some really innovative firm leaders recently on a podcast, as a matter of fact, where I get on a follow-up call with them and I think, oh my gosh, man, I would work for you. Because just the enthusiasm and the energy and the purpose of innovation and disruption and being seen as not just a typical CPA in their case, but, but truly advisors, people like that are magnetic. And so if you can have the right leader communicating that vision and get everybody on board and recruit, I think that's, that's the answer. Yeah. I mean, that's why in my keynote, I talk about my mission is to replace, thank God it's Friday with thank God it's Monday. Right. How much more powerful yeah. is it when you look forward to work every not not that you don't want to look forward to the weekend. We all need that time off, but not dread Monday, but look forward to it. I'm ready to you know hit the deck plates running and be hard charged. I love what I do. I can't wait to do it. Life is a totally different experience when work is actually play. It is. And we talk a lot about engagement and um, just are you engaged and are you energized? And, and I think that's what you're referring to. Absolutely. Well, and that and that all makes leadership and persuasion and influence so much easier because again, you're authentic, you're confident, you know why you're there, you know why you're making the decisions you're making, and it does it increases that that persuasion so much. It it absolutely does. People yeah. people can tell they can feel it. I always laugh at. Um, you know, I've had, I have two boys and when they were little, they would be so excited when they got up in the morning um, for school, you know, they would jump out of bed and they couldn't wait for boy scouts and school and soccer. And they, you know, they, they didn't want to take naps. Like they don't ever want to go to sleep because life is so, you know, exciting, thrilling. Yet at some point, I don't know when it happens, but at some point we lose that. And it's like, we're hitting the snooze button and, oh my gosh, I've got to do it. And I can't wait until Friday. My personal mission is to make people find purpose and delight and joy in what they're doing so that they jump out of bed like a four-year-old. Um, it's really important. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, I love hearing you talk about, you know, start with why Simon Sinek is, is very influential with me. Uh, the last big company I ran was a moving company. And we actually spent months, the senior management, just developing on that very theme after we all 
listen to the, the audio book. Um, and, and interesting, we came up with our, our, our why, our purpose was actually to reduce stress. It was really simple and it had nothing to do with moving, but moving was a vehicle for reducing stress. Yeah. Right. Love and, that. And how do you have your clients, what, what, what exercise do you have them go through to, to do that? To achieve their purpose, to figure it out. When I ask people what their purpose is, what I typically get, oh, my purpose is my family to get my kids to college, right? Something that's more internal than external. And, yeah. I, and you know, my point is really our purpose needs to serve others mm-hmm. to be truly fulfilling. Well, so just this last week, we had a group um, of, of new and potential leaders in the room and we talked about purpose and we talked about individually, I want you to do individual work and think through what motivates you. Is it the difference that you make for your clients? Is it that you want to, you know, get promoted within your, your firm and have more freedom, professional satisfaction? Is it because you want to be financially stable because you want to go to Italy because you want a Maserati, whatever. I think it's important for everybody to really think through personal professional motivations and why they're doing things. The other thing I'll ask people is imagine if you were in one of those restaurants that have their really high booths where you can't see who's around you. Okay. So you're sitting in there and you hear your name. So you're thinking, oh my gosh, what's going to be said? If somebody were talking about you, if it were a team member or a friend or a client or a past team member, what do you want them to say? Mm. And if you articulate that, that tells you what your purpose is. But a lot of people don't go through the exercise to really consider that, right? I mean, it, it, that's not something people say, hey, as part of your career development, who do you want to be? They don't do that. They don't do that. Right. So we, we also have them um, design bumper stickers um, we give them magnetic bumper stickers and say, if you if you were to promote your purpose and your why on a bumper sticker, what would it say? Now, CPAs don't like to do that for the record. They don't like to have markers and have to create some kind of, you know, some of them do, but most of them don't. Um, but they still do it and they have fun with it and they come up with their personal and professional purpose. So it's lots of fun. Lots of things you can do there. No, I love that. Do you mind? Um, could I borrow that? I do a, a, a three-day um, retreat, um, and I think that'd be a great exercise at my retreat. Absolutely. Yeah, we um, we ordered magnetic bumper stickers online, and we give them markers, and they, yeah. And you can do it, you know, virtually and all kinds of stuff, but there are all kinds of things you can do just to have people um, become a little bit more reflective. Another would be Give me an example of when you super served a client and they said, you know what? I wouldn't be in business without you. Give me a couple of examples and they remember and they recall those and they think, man, that's, that's why I do what I do. So lots of different Mm -hmm. things like that. And I love the focus, getting them to focus perhaps on something somebody else said or something they respect about somebody else. It's a little bit easier to look at than looking right at yourself to say, well, here's what I'm good at. And here's what I'm, you know, why I'm here. So I love that approach. It is a lot of times you're surprised, like with LinkedIn endorsements and things like that, testimonials, 
when I read them, I'm like, oh, they, wow. Okay. That's nice. <laughs> Things you don't even consider that resonate with other people. Um, so it's, it's good. I love it. I love it. And the, so one other thing I wanted to talk about this, this probably helps you as well. Accounting today said you were one. And I think repeatedly you've been awarded this as one of the top 100 influential people uh, in accounting. And how do you think that level of accomplishment or credibility or recognition also plays into um, persuasion? You know, I'm always surprised every year, um, that I get that. I think it's year 10 or 11 and I, I'm shocked equally every single year. Um, I, it's just, you know, I think it gives you things like that, give you a platform maybe that, that you can use for the good. And so I I've been really incredibly thankful for recognitions and, and awards, um, that really always, always surprise me. Uh, because I'm just doing what I'm doing and I'm not thinking about it at globally, global perspective, but it gives you a platform for people to maybe pay it a little bit more attention to certain things and opportunities for keynotes, love doing keynotes, love doing presentations, love articles and columns and things like that. And so I think it just gives, it's just, it's been an incredible, incredible humbling honor every single time. Um, and hopefully it's given me even more reach to, to do what I love to do. So. Well, and that response plays to your authenticity as well. You know, that your goal wasn't to set out to win this thing. So you could say you were this thing. It's kind of like the difference between a New York times bestseller and an Amazon bestseller. <laughs> you can <laughs> yeah. orchestrate the Amazon bestseller, but, uh, with New York times, they don't mess around. Well, that that's the other thing about recognition too. And I, I would just encourage those people that, probably deserve to be recognized in their field in different ways and haven't been other people see you and, and what, whether you win something or not, it does not dictate your worth. It, mm -hmm. it does not, because if you are so wrapped up in a title or a, you know, blue ribbon or whatever, if you're so wrapped up in that, when you don't get it, if you don't get it, it can be devastating. So don't put the power on somebody else to give you the confidence. Just know why you're doing what you do. Get out there and do it. We're called to be excellent. Those things are awesome. And I love it. I'm so incredibly thankful, but um, they don't necessarily define you. Love yeah. it. Well, well said. Um, and I love that duality of holding, I'm not going for it, right? It's not important to me to achieve this thing. And I'm going to allow myself to receive it though, right? At the same time, right? It's not what I'm about, but I can accept that praise. And I think that's that's part of that uh, humbleness that is is required. So we know who we are and what our worth is back to our earlier conversation in this podcast. Uh, I was just going to say a, a lot of, a lot of other people that have been recognized in top 100 feel the way that I do about their purpose is so much bigger than anything that, that they do. And so it gives you an opportunity to meet other people that are super passionate um, about the things you are and really work and collaborate together. So it's, it's pretty neat. Yeah. And I suspect it's virtually very difficult to achieve those accolades if your goal is to achieve those accolades, right? You, your goal needs to be bigger and then they just come, right? It's a true recognition of what you've done. It's not a game that you win. I think it can work against you if that's your goal. I, I really do. I, I warn people against things like that. 
um, recognition is important, but it it's sort of Dave, like what we talked about earlier with your past bosses. It it has to be substantive. What you're doing has to have heart and soul and purpose, and the rest will come, right? Yeah, it's validation, not purpose, right? If, yeah. right? if it becomes purpose, then that's a problem, right? Yeah. Validation and validation is great, and we can all use more and more encouragement. I love it. I, you know, I love when people um, recognize me and others, and, and I love to recognize other people. So there's nothing wrong with it, but I think it comes back to what we've been talking about the whole time, which is that, that purpose and influence. Absolutely. And, you know, Angie, we could probably go on with this conversation for hours, but I know you've got a lot on your plate, as you shared with us, uh, I think it was just before we started uh, recording the podcast. So do you want to give you a chance, any last uh, sage words, advice you'd like to give our listeners? I would just you know, tell the listeners that you are incredibly talented and special in your own right. And you may or may not know what that is, but seek that out, seek out your purpose, figure out what is going to fulfill you in your personal and professional lives. And don't stop chasing that. Create the life that makes you want to jump out of bed like my (laughs) four-year-old when he did. So um, that's my advice. I love it. Thank you so much for your time, Angie, your wisdom and, and for sharing with our audience, all that, all that you've got in this persuasion area. It's been so much fun and we could do it. We'll do it again. Just let me know. Absolutely. And I just love the imagery of your four-year-old jumping out of bed. So awesome. Well, thanks again. And uh, we will see you folks next week. Thank you. Thanks guys. That concludes another episode of Disarming Persuasion. This is Dave Rosenberg, and you can find my website at LockedOnLeadership.com. And this is Ann Bonnie at YourChangeSpeaker.com. Remember, if they fail to make a decision, you failed to disarm them. Disarm them.